welcome back or welcome to the Humans of Triathlon or Hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with humans of triathlon from around the globe and from all walks of life So welcome on this beautiful July day to the Humans of Triathlon podcast, brought to you by three-time Ironman from London, UK, Charles Hunk, and me, soon to be three times Ironman, I hope, Sheila Trelevin from Grimsby, Ontario, Canada. Our fearless podcast creator, Swap Nilsh, is on a bit of a sabbatical, but we hope to have his smooth voice back on the air in the new future. We have a great show for you today with a fellow Canadian, coach, and athlete. Charles, take it away. All right. So, guys, uh, so according to the famous publication of the Mayo Clinic, you know, around 15% of couples and they'll have trouble getting pregnant, right? Which is not a small number, actually. And uh, our guest tonight has had a, in the past, a very lengthy and highly upsetting uh, trouble in this regard. And uh, however, uh, for much painful that this uh, must have been in the past, this has definitely not stopped her from being awesome, right? And you can notice this by looking at her Instagram account. Whereas many people, uh, including myself, we love to take pictures of food. Uh, I'm going to have this for lunch or landscapes. Look at where I'm going to have this run tonight. Amazing, right? Uh, I think 95% of uh, our guests' Instagram posts are smiling selfies, Right, so it's power right there. So who is this woman? Okay, so where do we begin? Right, uh, let's see the CV here. Uh, we have a competitive age grouper with 15 years running experience, 10 years triathlon experience, and over five years of coaching experience. She is a NAASFP certified run coach. She is a NCCP trained triathlon coach and a CanFit Pro Certified Personal Training Specialist. Oof, let me catch my breath. That was a long <laughs> one. All right. She is also the Managing Director of PK Performance Coaching. Folks, we have a great hour coming up for all of you from Canada. And I love to say this, the land of maple syrup, of Alanis Morissette, of Justin Bieber, of Justin Trudeau, uh, the already sold out compact kit of Ironman Pentington, and of course, our very own Sheila Trilevin. Uh, please welcome to our virtual studio, the lovely Fedra Kennedy. Thank you for having me. That was a great intro. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming. Yeah, it's My awesome pleasure. to have you here. Thanks. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it's just uh, we always have these uh, amazing guests. We love, we love to hear the stories and we love to, to dig here, dig there. And sometimes we lose track of time. And um, <laughs> yeah, it happens a lot. That happens. Exactly. Because not, not only the guest rambles, we also ramble in our own way. So it just gets crazy. We all get excited and then it ends up, and, you know, like, yeah. Well, when you put three triathletes yeah. into a room and you talk triathlon, 
that could go on for a really long time. Yeah, I think it could. So. And sometimes it goes on after we stop recording. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a backstage or no one hears, but yeah, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Well, we're so happy that you're here. And usually how we get started is just asking you to tell us about yourself and how you grew up and, and how you, uh, well, just about you and how you grew up and where you started. Well, let's start at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> I was born and raised in Toronto, so I've, I've lived here all my life. I've never left. Um, I am the oldest of three kids. Uh, I have a younger sister and a younger brother. There is a pretty big age range between all of us, and I, I like to say it was because I was a bit of a handful as a child, throwing temper tantrums in the grocery store and that sort of thing. Um, but it's funny that you commented, Charles, on my smiling face because my mom always said that I was a smiley baby. I was a smiley child, and I've always been a smiling person, and that's what people comment on the most. I don't know why that is. I guess I just love life, and I like to smile. <laughs> simple as that perfect that's the best kind of it's so much nicer to to see someone talk to somebody who's smiling than mm -hmm. you know going up to someone who's frowning most people will just walk the other way <laughs> it's true yeah and I did have someone tell me in one of my um jobs out of university that I had a very approachable face it's <laughs> like oh wow uh, okay <laughs> thank you <Yeah. laughs> thank you I know it's a very odd compliment but I'll take it exactly <laughs> Definitely better than the alternative. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, true. So how big is the age difference between you and your siblings then? Um, there's six years between my brother and I. He's in the middle. And then my sister is 11 years younger than me. Oh, okay. So it's, yeah, like growing up, we didn't really grow up together. So it was almost like I was a, a second mom, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and once she got to be in her late teens... Actually, let's just say this. Once she was able to drink, then it was like, okay, she's cool. Let's go out. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I totally get it. My sister is um, 10 years older than my, than me. And my yeah. elder brother is 11 years older. But then we also have a younger brother who's five years younger than me. So wow, we didn't really start hanging out until we were like grownups. So yeah. Yeah. Totally it's true. Because, it. it, you know, kids, teenagers... I am, you know, in my early twenties and my sister would have been like uh, 11. Yeah. I'm not going to hang out with an 11 year old. <laughs> exactly. So, but now we're pretty close. So how was your childhood? Like you're, you know, you're the oldest, um, you're looking after your two younger siblings a lot, or, you know, were you involved in sports as a kid? I played in, in grade school. I did track and field for grade seven and grade eight. And then once I got into high school, I started playing soccer. And that was my life for like four years. I played on the high school team and then I played on a house league team. And then the house league team ended up turning into a rep team. Um, so I did that for all of high school. Uh, so I was playing like four days a week and then I'd play tournaments on the weekend. Um, and then when I got out of high school and went into university, I stopped doing everything. <laughs> Oh no, how come? Um, I just, I moved out of the house. So I was living um, up by the unit. I went to York. So I was living okay. up by York. And, and I had a, I got a government job over the course of the summer. And it was a contract job. And then they ended up with, with the way my school schedule was. I had like two and a half days of school. 
they were long days. The two days were quite long. So I had two and a half free days. So the contract position said, well, we'll keep you if you can make this work. And I was like, yeah, sure. You're paying me good money. Um, I'm not going to say no to that. So between work and then school, I just felt like I didn't have time for anything else. So I didn't do anything else. And then I gained the freshman 15. <laughs> of course. Yes. Yeah. The standard. So the standard. Yeah. Um, which stayed on me right through university and then just got a little bit worse after university, which is why I got into running after I got out of university. And uh, I had been, I was living with a boyfriend at the time and then we broke up. Um, and that's sort of when my running sort of really came to be running, not just like a quick jog around the block. It was like, okay, I can actually run for half an hour at a time now. I sort of worked up from the run walk and then built up to like 30 minutes straight of running. And that was what sort of kept me going. That was the thing that I had since I had left that relationship. That's what sort of took its place. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just allowed me to sort of think through things and it allowed me alone time um, and then I just thought, you know what, if I'm running half an hour, why can't I run 5k? Maybe I can run 5k. I'm going to try and do a 5k race. So I think October of that year, I did run for the cure because my grandmother, both my grandmothers had passed away from breast cancer. So it was like, okay, you know what, I'm going to do that. And my aunt had had it and beat it. So I thought I'm going to honor them. And that's what I did. And then that was the rest was history. After that, I was like hooked. Mm. I'm like, oh my God, every chance I could race, I would race. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. Like this was in the late 90s. So, I mean, heart rate monitors were just sort of coming into being used, but I didn't know anything about that. I would just run. Um, Didn't know anything about training. I would run five days a week and take the weekends off. So that's where all of my endurance love started, I guess, was in 1998. You'd be surprised in uh, in this podcast how the, the number of times that we hear people uh, sort of saying that the reason they got into into endurance sports or any sport whatsoever is there's always a trigger. Mm-hmm. You no, know, it's not like just one day they wake up and say, "Oh, I want to do this." No, it's always and it's always like something very like impressive, like I don't know, and it ranges from uh, you broke up with uh, with your partner to uh, I need this breathing device and I'm traveling a lot, so I'm getting stopped in airports all the time and I'm fed up with this. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it, or I fell from a, a lightning tower, which is like 20 f- meters high, and I was paralytic, and then I started doing paracycling. So it is amazing that the amount of, uh, of stories that we hear, but there's always a trigger, no? It's, it's very yeah. interesting. There is. Yeah. There's a, it's like a switch that gets flipped and you're just like, you know what? I need, I need to do this. I need to do this. This is what I need right now. And I'm lucky it's something that I stuck with. It, it just, it did so much for me that I was just like, this is now a part of my life. It's just what I do. There's no reason not to do it. I love it. It makes me feel good. Um, and then, you know, you, as a runner, once you start to develop as a runner, it's like, okay, well, I've done 5K. Now I'm going to do 8K. Then I'm going to do 10K. Then I'm going to do a half marathon. 
oh, maybe I'll do a marathon, but that just seems really hard. So it took me like <laughs> four half marathons before I decided, okay, I think I'm ready to do a marathon. And when I signed up to do that marathon, um, I joined the running room yeah. because, you know, I needed, I thought I need guidance. I can't do this on my own. Um, and I had done the half marathon clinic through the running room. So I was familiar with them already. And I joined that group and my husband, my future husband was in that group. Um, Perfect. and that's how we met was running. And at the time when I met him, I was like, Oh, you're very cute, <laughs> but you're a bit of a jerk. Like he just wouldn't talk to me. What do you need the time of day? And I'm like, all right, well, fine. <laughs> a year later, he started giving me the time of day. <laughs> it, took, it took a year, but um, yeah, so that's, you know, that's how we met. And I've met so many amazing people through running and triathlon that I can't imagine it not being a part of my life. And obviously it led me to coaching. So that's a whole other uh, ball of wax that it can of worms, whatever you want to call it, that it opened. Um, oh, yeah. I don't come from a, you know, kinesiology or science background. I studied fine arts in university. Like I'm, I was an artist at heart when I started and then something changed. And um, I ended up in advertising, which I think most people that get into art realize yeah. that they can't make a living at art end up in advertising. <laughs> um, I did that for 20 years. And at 45, I was like, you know, I'm done with this. I'm so done with this. And I just quit. <laughs> I quit and decided to coach. Nice. So here I am. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a big, a big change. Like, was there a lead up to that decision? Because, you know, yes. yeah. There was a lot of urging from my husband nice. <laughs> because I hated yeah. my job. Um, you know, the last, the advertising industry changed when um, digital photography started. Okay. And then when social media really became prevalent um, and things like Instagram ads became prevalent, it mm -hmm. was like people thought, oh, well, we can do this for nothing. It's like, well, no, you can't because you still have to pay the people that do that. Yes. So I started just getting really annoyed with um, having to tell my suppliers, well, you know, can you work for half your rate? I'm like, uh. you don't go into a hairdresser and say, I got 50 bucks. I know you charge 200. Will you cut my hair? No. <laughs> I'll just cut like, half of I don't it. Know. <laughs> yeah, just, we'll just cut half of it. And I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> like, I don't understand. I never understood why in that business it was okay to do that. So that was really sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. And I'd say that in, a, in 2013, I started taking people, I was coaching people part-time because people started asking me, do you coach? And I was like, uh, I could try. And so I started working with some of my friends and then I'm like, you know, I should really get a certification. So that's where the NAASFP certification came in. And then I started actually um, coaching people online. Hmm. Yeah, it was crazy. And my first client came through Instagram. Really? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Because I was so I had a blog. And I used to blog about my training and racing all the time. And then I chronicle things on Instagram as well. And I people would ask me questions there. And I didn't realize that it was a program, a, a platform that you could connect with people in that regard. So, 
yeah, crazy. I never thought that I would end up where I am because of social media, but I did. So it's amazing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But did you quit your job before starting the coaching or did you like uh, start coaching while will you have your job and see whether you, you had the, the, the final guts to take the final plunge? I started coaching while I was at my job and I would take five athletes yeah. and that was it. And I'd have to turn people away. And I was just like, okay, um, you know, I need to either, I need to make a decision. Um, and I knew that if I left my job, obviously that was going to be a big pay cut. So exactly. in 20, it was, yeah. And that's kind of scary. I mean, we don't have kids. So for us, it was like, okay, well, you know, my husband has a good job, but he was like, you'll be, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. But I also wanted to be contributing, right? I wanted to yeah. contribute to the household. I don't want to like quote unquote freeload. So it was like a very tough decision for me. Um, but then we, we had a, like a three bedroom house down in, uh, Lakeshore and Islington area. So Southwest okay. of the city, right by the lake. And it's just the two of us. Like, why do we need a house with a backyard, a backyard that we never really use because most of the time we're out training. So at the height of the real estate market, we decided to sell. Oh, good for you. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was smart yeah. decision. Um, we had renovated the house. Well, actually I should say renovated. We rebuilt the house, um, five years prior. So it was really quite new, um, in a neighborhood where there was a fair, some new homes, but a lot of older homes. Mm -hmm. So we sold it, we made some money and then we, we wanted to downsize into a townhouse. Um, which we ended up doing. I wouldn't say we downsized in square footage, but now we don't have a backyard. We have a garage. We don't have to shovel the driveway. We don't have to do any of that stuff. Oh my God, it's liberating. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it was that decision. When we did that, I was like, okay, we're good. I can quit my job. And I think literally... About three weeks after we did that, our house sold. I went into the uh, studio owner and I was like, okay, I'm giving you my notice. Nice. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. And I was good because I knew that I was leaving to do my own thing. So I gave them like three months and I, I just, you know, helped train the new person, made sure everything was like tied up. All the loose ends were tied up and uh, yeah, so... I wasn't an idiot about it. I was just like, I'm going to give you my time. Yeah. And uh, we're going to. And I guess that it also gave you time to sort of uh, sort out, make sure that your base, your new, new world is going to be. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I put that out there as soon as uh, I had done the deed. It was like, okay, guys, I'm taking on new athletes starting January 1st. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and by the end of um, 26, 2017 was my first year of running my own business. By the end of that year, I had a full roster of athletes. So how many so, is a full roster for you? Um, I like to keep it at 15. Okay. Um, and that's a combination of runners and triathletes because I coach both. Yeah. Um, you know, if I have less triathletes, I might take a little bit more than 15 because runners, I find much easier to manage programming yeah. for oh, yeah, absolutely. triathlon, right? So, 
Um, you know, I might go up to 17, 18, but then that's even that it's like, okay, nope, stop, stop, stop. Mm -hmm. So, and I've, I've recently, um, I now am the head coach at Black Toe Running, which is a, a running shop down at Queen and, uh, Queen and, no, sorry, King and Bathurst. Um, and they have a run club and a race team. So I, I program plan for the team and club year. So, and coach in person too, which was a big sort of step out of my comfort zone. Um, you know, I, I found that I was always nervous in front of big groups of people. And now it's just sort of like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like public speaking was never a good thing for me. I would always get really nervous at doing speeches, but now I'm like, I'm very comfortable talking in front of larger groups. So it's been a good thing. That's good. I've seen the black toe running, um, group out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Their, their gear, things like that. So that's mm -hmm. really cool. Yeah. It's been fun. Cool. So I know you're a runner. So how did you get into the sport of triathlon? I blame that entirely on my husband. <laughs> <laughs> when we um, started dating, he was training for his first Ironman, uh, Lake Placid, um, which was in 2002. I think he was doing that year. So I just remember, and I knew what triathlon was, obviously I, I had watched, I'd watched Kona and thought that that was crazy. And then I think everybody in Canada watched Simon Whitfield get the gold medal mm -hmm. at uh, the Olympics. I remember screaming at the TV and jumping up and down, like losing my mind. Um, so triathlon was always kind of there. It was like, Oh, well, you know, maybe one day I'll do that. And then when I met my husband, um, watching him train for Lake Placid, I was just like, this is crazy, but so inspiring. And I will never forget standing at the finish line uh, at the Olympic Oval in the stands, watching random strangers come down the finishing chute. And I'm crying watching these people because I'm just like wrapped up in, in how excited and happy and emotional they are. Um, and I think that an Ironman especially does that. Like you really you feel that you feel the energy and being an endurance athlete myself, I totally understand what crossing that finish line means. So that after I watched that, I was like, I'm doing this one day. Um, I wasn't going to jump right into an Ironman cause I'm not that kind of person. I'm a little <laughs> more progressive. It's like, well, let's start with, um, I started with the Muskoka long course, which I guess for most people would be a little aggressive. Yeah, no, that's a big jump in. <laughs> it was a big jump in, but I think everybody I knew was training for Ironman and I had just run Boston. So I'd run a marathon yeah. and I thought, well, 15 K off the bike, that's no problem. Um, and I've already riding 55 kilometers. It was the two K swim that I was kind of like, all right, I got to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something when, between the Olympic and uh, 70.3 pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It was like sort of that middle ground. And it, I mean, it's still a tough distance to race. Um, oh yeah. But you know, I, I was like, I remember doing it and I'm like, this was amazing. It was hard, but um, I crossed the finish line thinking, wow, okay, amazing. And then I did a half Ironman. I think that was 2004. And then the following year I did an Olympic, a half Ironman, and I think a couple of sprint distances. And then I had decided 2006, I was going to do my first Ironman. 
And I went to Lake Placid to do it. And I did it with my husband. And he gave me my medal at the finish line. And that was, oh, oh yeah, seriously, the probably the second best day of my life other than our wedding day. Like, I have clear memories of my, my family was there. His family was there. Um, running into the Olympic Oval. I'm gonna, I might even cry just thinking about it again. <laughs> my mom and my sister were standing right there as I came in. And I just remember seeing them. And as I came in, they were playing the Verve's Bittersweet Symphony. And I was just like, don't cry, don't cry, don't oh. cry. Oh my God, I'm bawling, I'm bawling, I'm bawling. And then I see this kid with his hands sticking out. Like he wants a high five. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm totally going to high five you. So I high fived him. And that was kind of like the switch to turn the tears off as I came around the Olympic Oval. So I wasn't totally bawling when I crossed the finish line. But, uh, and then I got across the finish line and my husband was there. And I was just like, oh my God, that was so hard, but so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> It's tradition for me to cry at finish lines. If I don't cry at the finish line, then something's wrong. Something's no. wrong. <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't a good race. <laughs> it's so funny. I think I've gotten a little bit better with holding the emotions in check once I cross the finish line. But um, there are some races where you know you get across the line and it was just so hard. You have to like you have to let it out. Yeah, you're just so happy that you're done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally get that. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's awesome. So how many Ironman have you done since then? I've only done two. Okay. Um, I did, and it's funny how a negative experience can really affect um, how you feel about something after it happens. So I'd say that the two Ironmans I've done were complete polar opposites. Lake Placid was like the perfect day. And then we went in 2008, we went to Europe and we did Ironman Switzerland. Oh, wow. Yeah, that trip was amazing. There was nine of us that went and uh, we had a great time. It was my first time ever in Europe. So I was just like, everything's new and exciting. Um, The course was beautiful, but I had the worst possible day. It was 14 degrees and raining in the morning. Oh. Yeah. Got my period race day. Thanks, Mother Nature. Um, so I was crampy, miserable, emotional. Um, and I made the mistake of taking half a naproxen before the race started. And this is before I knew of any of that, you know, that it can affect your stomach. Your stomach. So on the bike, I'm trying, I'm eating, and nothing is sitting well. And I, I'm, like, getting you know, nauseous. And I was completely miserable. I remember at one point on the second loop of the bike, just crying. And I was like, I hate every second of this. I hate it. And then I finally got off the bike. I got out on the run. It had stopped raining. And the run was four loops. So you were like constantly passing people. You'd see people, which was great. But that first loop of the run, I think I went into every single porta potty because I did not know what my body wanted to do. Either it was going to come out the top or the bottom. I was like, this is really bad. This is horrible. Yikes. Um, It was really unpleasant. And I think by the time I got to like the third loop, I was just like, I'm so done. I just want this to be over. (laughs) And then I saw my buddy, my best friend, she was racing. She's like, come on, PK, just go, just keep going. So Saw her and I thought, okay, got one loop left. One loop left. I can hear the crowd, and then they had this great DJ playing on the course. And they left. I gotta love that about Europe. Like they get right into it. The DJ was playing. They had Red Bull out there. I was like, okay, I'm gonna play Red Bull. 
Bull. I had a little sip of Red Bull, had some uh, Coca-Cola, had some more like pretzels. I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And as soon as I crossed the finish line, all my friends were waiting there for me. My husband and my friends, everyone finished before me. And I was just like, oh my God, that was horrible. And that was it. So it's like, <laughs> since then I have not done another Ironman because that experience, that negative experience has stuck with me. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. But when I turn 50, uh, which is only a few years from now, I plan on doing another Ironman. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that, that uh, open up the closet, rummage through all those skeletons and just put them to bed. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I want to go back so here we... and do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good. How old are you now? Sorry, you're 48. I am 48. 48. Okay. All right. Cause I know we're, if, um, well, next year I'll be in the same age group as you will be in the, cause I'll be no! back to age group. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. No, just curious. I, I was just look, cause I was looking, it doesn't tell you your, it doesn't really tell you your age, right? You just get your age range on sports yes. stats. Yeah. yeah. But if you're clever, you can do the math. If you scroll back enough and see when the That's true. age switched. <laughs> Then you know, oh, okay, this person was born in X year. Yeah. yeah. I didn't do the math. I just was looking the last, the last more recent. Yeah. Looking at some of your run splits were pretty good. So. Yeah, I got, uh, I had a, I think my best, like I, I started running at 27 and I didn't have my best year of running until I was 42. That's a long time. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> hey, that's okay. <laughs> But I think there was obviously the time in there when we were trying to have kids. There was about two years where I just didn't race. I didn't do much in the way of anything because, you know, I was constantly at the doctor and it was like, okay, you got to go to the clinic today. They got to draw blood. You got to get monitored, this, that, and the other thing. Put on some weight. I'm like, stop running. It's like, okay, well. So there was two years of not a heck of a lot of anything. And then once all that was over, it was like, okay, time to reclaim my body. Um, I started watching what I was eating and then I started lifting weights and I think the strength training really helped me. And then I trained with, um, I finally found a group to run with and run with people that were faster than me. That helped me immensely. And that's when I started having really good race results was doing that. So at 42, I set all my PBs every distance except 5k because I didn't race a 5k, but um, that was the year I set my marathon PB, half marathon PB, and 10K PB. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Mic drop. <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what? There's a lot. We, I think as women, you know, especially for running, mm-hmm. uh, we, we do get better as we get older to a certain point. You know, we yes. get stronger. Our endurance is good. and Yeah. Now I'm yeah. just uh, trying to slow the decline. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah hang it on to that just hang it on yeah i'll be 45 next week so Ooh, happy totally birthday idea. happy early Thanks. birthday <laughs> so i totally totally get the the trying to keep the decline from from happening yes. yeah yeah so far so good yeah. <laughs> that's right so you talked just briefly there about how you know you took a, a little bit of time off um put on some weight you guys were trying to have a baby uh, I was just wondering if maybe you could share your story about that because I know there's lots of women out there that that struggle with 
you know, getting pregnant and things like that, I would really probably love to share, hear your story and how you, um, you know, made your way through that and out of it again. It was a very dark time. Like I got married at 33. So, you know, young, but not that young. Um, and you know, I, we didn't want to have kids right away. Um, in hindsight, that was probably maybe not the best thing, but it, it worked out for us. Um, so I think it was, it was after Iron Man when I, we decided to start trying and, you know, trying and you're trying and you're trying and you kind of know, okay, well, is this normal? It's been a year. And after that we were like, okay, well, let's just, just do another Iron Man. We'll continue to try and, you know, if I get pregnant, great. But I had a feeling that something was wrong because I had like incredibly painful periods, um, sometimes abnormally heavy and I had had cysts before. So it was like, yeah. okay, something's not right. And I just had, you know, that feeling in your gut when you just know that something's wrong. Um, so I, after, um, or during Ironman training, I had said to my doctor, you know, I think that something's up and I had been Googling my symptoms, good old Google. Um, yeah. and I thought, you know, I, I think I might have endometriosis and the only way to check that is laparoscopic surgery. You can't pick it up on an ultrasound or anything like that because it's scar tissue. Mm -hmm. So we had made uh, arrangements for me to have laparoscopic surgery after I came back from Ironman Switzerland. So literally, I think like two weeks later, I was back in uh, Toronto and I'm getting ready to go into surgery. And, you know, I go in and uh, afterwards I'm in recovery and I guess they dosed me pretty hard with anesthesia because I was out of it for a long time. And when I came to, my husband was sitting with me and then the doctor came in and, you know, sort of told me, well, you know, this is what we found. You have stage four endometriosis. Um, both of your fallopian tubes are blocked. It'll be impossible for you to have kids naturally. I think I, like once he left the room, I just cried and cried and cried. And my husband just held my hand. Like, what can he say to comfort me? Nothing, right? Yeah. yeah, he just felt horrible, and it was like, okay, well, so we have to do IVF, and that was what we did. And my doctor had recommended because my fallopian tubes were completely blocked with scar tissue, he was like, I recommend that you get them removed um, because there's toxins in them that could harm an embryo. So that meant a second laparoscopic procedure. So I was just oh, like, God. God. Uh, so, you know, I went through the healing process of the first one. We did, uh, went through the whole like hormones, all of that stuff, went through the second laparoscopic procedure and then started to IVF. And that was, I think we went through three rounds of it, uh, spent a small fortune. I think back now it's like, I could have a really nice bike for what we did. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever it's part of the journey um so that was about yeah I'd say almost two years from start to finish and it was you know I talked about it like I, I have no problem talking about those things and you know some of my coworkers were respectful of, of things but would ask questions and it was like 
okay, well, you know what? I just got to get this off my chest. So I would talk about it. And it seems to be a bit of a taboo subject still, and I don't understand why, because there's so many women that have this problem. Yes. Um, whether it be endometriosis or unexplained infertility, um, it shouldn't be taboo, because it really can make you feel like, I felt like a failure as a woman for the longest time after. And I don't think I really realized that I felt like a failure until I started thinking about it. And it's like, you know, I pushed myself in sport because my body didn't allow me to do that. So I was going to take control of my body and do sport, excel in sport and try and do, be good at something, be successful at something. So I think that that journey really pushed me to work hard in triathlon and running and be good at something. And thank God that I actually was kind of good at something because <laughs> it was a real outlet for me and it really sort of helped me work through all of those feelings. Um, I still ended up going to see a therapist because I think there was a lot of really deep-seated stuff mm -hmm. that I had to work through. Um, and it was in those therapy sessions that I think the feeling of failure as a woman came out. I remember talking to my therapist about that and she kept asking me, well, how do you feel about all of this? And then it was just like the light bulb went on. I'm like, I feel like a failure as a woman because my body didn't allow me to do what, you know, biologically I'm here to do was bring life into the world and I couldn't do it. So it was a tough pill to swallow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how, how long did, uh, did it take from the moment that you started trying having kids until the moment that you said, you know what, that's it. Oh God. So let's see, we started trying to have kids in like 2007 and then it was 2010. So three years, three years of an emotional roller coaster. And yeah, it's a long time. like, that's it. I need to step off this, this ride and go on another one because I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it was tough. But I think that if I, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be where I am now. Like I certainly wouldn't be coaching people. I might not have had the athletic success that I've had. Who knows what I would be doing. I could probably still be working in advertising, miserable and cranky. So <laughs> this was a good thing. <laughs> exactly. So one of the things that you wrote in um, your, your, your blurb to us was that, you know, getting back into getting into the sport, back into the sport of triathlon, It helped you focus and shift your focus from what your body couldn't do to what it can do. So how, how did that shift happen for you? That's a good question. I'd say that it was, it was gradual because fitness is gradual. Gaining fitness is gradual. It doesn't happen overnight. But then when I started to see that progress, it was like, oh, you know what? I can do this. My body can do this. I can go faster. I am stronger. I'm lifting heavier things now. I can carry that giant box of whatever up the stairs because I'm lifting weights and I'm stronger now. And I think mentally there was a shift too because previously, as my husband says, I would mentally wuss out. You know, when it, when it got hard, I would back off. I was always afraid of sort of blowing up. I never knew what that extra gear was. And I think, you know, 
having to deal with all of that fertility, infertility stuff, and then wanting to find more and be better and do more, I was able to find that extra gear. There was something inside that just said, no, just suck it up and do it. Like you've been through misery. This is a different kind of pain and misery. You can get through this. And that mental shift was everything. I now, I knew how to suffer all of a sudden. It was amazing. Well, not that suffering is amazing, but you know, no, but- <laughs> it finds that, that you find that extra gear. And sometimes that's what's missing from a good race, right? Is the ability to suffer. Exactly. And sometimes we even lose, we might have had that at one time and then we lose it. Yep. Um, and, and uh, you know, I think that's where I am. So it's learning to get that back again. Yep. So it's thank you yeah, for sharing that. So now you're on your, your, uh, your journey through coaching and, and, um, you know, you said you really love it, uh, love the coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, the other, one of the other things that I took from your blurb is too, it's like, you really now, after all of this, understand the true meaning of sportsmanship and community. So I think as a coach, I'm, I'm surmising cause you're not my coach. Uh, but I imagine you bring that all those learnings that you have to your teammates and how do you build that sportsmanship and community within your club? Well, with my athletes, it's funny. Um, you know, I, we're all members of the Toronto triathlon club. Okay. So there is, I used to coach through them last year. Um, and I'm still a member this year. And there are a bunch of people that don't, know each other but like I had a bunch of people that signed up for the same race that didn't know each other previously and I remember when one of my athletes signed up I'm like oh so and so one of my other athletes has also signed up I think you guys would get along great and so I do I like to do socials with everybody so I get everyone together you know usually twice a year we do a summer and then a winter social and it gives people that you know live in this city that may not know each other the opportunity to meet each other and potentially find another training partner. And there has been an amazing relationship that has blossomed between several of the athletes, the women that I coach, um, that is just great to see. Now they're planning Ironman together. They're going to do Des Moines next year. And I just, I love that. I absolutely love it. It makes me so happy to see that. So that's like, a for me, the best thing, part of my job, one of the best parts of my job anyway. Yeah, it is. It's in. A, I find an amazing community as well, and those relationships between women and and guys too. Sorry, yep. not to leave you out, Charles. <laughs> um, <laughs> become, you know, it's it's such a sport that brings people together, and I think a lot of it comes from that those triggers that were all brought in by some trigger. We all have some experiences, and yep. they may not be the same, but they're similar undertones mm-hmm. to them that that allow us to connect. Um, and I, I know like this weekend, um, I'm, we're going to Lake Placid this weekend, uh, to watch one of my running partners, uh, do Lake Placid Amazing. and we're taking a girl's road trip. So, uh, the three of us are popping in a, we rented a van <laughs> we're running uh-huh. down to, to Lake Placid and we're going to go watch 
uh, Marcel uh, finish uh, Lake Placid. That's his goal. Like he'll be, he'll do it fast, yeah. but right now yeah. he thinks he just wants to finish. So, <laughs> oh, that's going to be so much fun. But it's that sense of community and those that friendship and 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 knowing you have you know people with similar uh, struggles and and goals and uh, I find that that help keep. Well, that make this sport so great and keep me coming back for sure. So Absolutely. It's nice to hear that, you you know, you, there's somebody else out there too that's like promoting how awesome it is, just the community. And I have a question for you, Fedra. Uh, you're a coach. Because um, you, you said you started doing triathlon and then suddenly, almost at the same time, sort of you started coaching. So I, I just, uh, so obviously I just do the parallels. And this is a question in general, no, for... Um, in terms of being able to teach something when you're good at it, uh, if it's something that anyone who's good at something can teach something, or if there's something else that you need to have in order to be able to teach it properly. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, I think you need to have a certain level of interpersonal skills, and you need to be able to relate to people and what they're going through. And I think as a coach, that for me is my biggest strength. You know, there are other coaches out there that are very data-driven, data-focused. I am that, but I'd say that that is lower on my skill level. You know, I sometimes think that I should have had a degree in psychology as well. Um, because sometimes you need that, right? Like, yeah. you need that to figure out what is going on in this person's head. You know, dealing with the mental side of the sport, I think it's something that, uh, is actually probably my favorite part of it is getting into the athlete's head. And it's like, okay, well, what's your motivation? Why do you do this? Um, sort of what makes you tick and helping, encouraging people to focus on those things and build that mental side of it. So, um, a roundabout answer to your question. <laughs> uh, I started actually triathlon in 2004, but I didn't start coaching triathlon until much later. So I have experience, um, a little more experience. And I think in 2004, there's no way in heck I would have even thought of coaching someone in triathlon. So I think my experience sort of helps, plus just learning along the way, right? Like I, I spend a lot of time reading. Um, I talk to other coaches. Um, there's a lot of, uh, books piled up with like, this is important. This is important. This is important websites. Like I'm always reading and trying to learn, um, the latest things in the sport too. So I keep myself balanced that way. Yeah. I think my question was not, yeah, maybe I, maybe I did the question wrong. I didn't want to sort of, uh, just compare the fact that you may, may have started coaching very close to the time when you started doing the sport. It was more about just understanding from your point of view, you know, what was the, that extra thing that you would require to be able to, uh, to be a good coach? Because in, in, not only for triathlon, but in anything in life, you may be very good at something, but, but you don't have that sort of capacity to, to, to transmit, to, to, to teach yes. uh, someone else, right? And, and I see this in the workplace all the time. Like, <laughs> yes. people think, please yeah. train us to do this. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, whatever. So it's like, yeah, there's a special sauce. Yeah. Just that, because you're yeah. good at something yourself doesn't mean that you can teach it. Right. Yeah. Um, hmm. 
That is an interesting question. <laughs> I think I think you need an extra an extra bit of patience. Yes, it's, I think what makes one of the things that makes a good teacher is that little bit extra patience. Yes, patience, and you need to be able to listen. Like you really need to be able to listen and understand where the person is coming from. That to me is a big thing. So mm. yeah. And then, you know, being able to explain yourself and what you want from the athlete is also key. Like you could tell someone, okay, well, this is the workout. If you don't explain it well and what the goal is, then they may not do it correctly. So you have to be able to explain what you want and why they're doing what they're doing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think triathlon also is very, is, is, is even more important, no, because, uh, in other things of life, you teach something and that's it. Mm-hmm. But uh, in triathlon, usually you, you develop this uh, long-term relationship you know, with your coach and something that is like going through seasons and seasons of learning. Yeah. and Right? So it, it's just that much more. Yeah. and it, it is a relationship that develops. It, it really is. And I always encourage uh, the athletes I coach to communicate with me. Like I think communication is – it's integral to any relationship, but especially a coaching relationship. Because if you fill out your training peaks, or if you just upload your workout to training peaks, and there's no comments there, it's like, well, what, what happened? I can look at the data and say, okay, well, this was a great workout. But then you can say to me, no, it was awful. Well, why was it awful? So there's more to it, like you have to sort of peel back the layers, right? Like the communication is the most important thing. And I think if you can't communicate well, then that's a problem. Yeah, completely agree. Right. So in the future, the future Fedra. So you've already told us that you're you're going to your you have already your plans to get out of the closet <laughs> and uh, when you're fifty and do a third Ironman. Yep. And put this thing behind you. Yep. Um, so what other plans do you have? Uh, at least in your triathlon world or anything you want to tell us. Well, Charles, I'm glad you asked. No. <laughs> um, I last night I just signed up for um, the Scotiabank Half Marathon, uh, mm-hmm. which is you know the it's a big Toronto race in the fall, Very and my, yeah, I love that race. I've run it so many times, but I haven't run it since 2015. So it's time. Time to go and- back. Time to go back, and I'm going to try and qualify for the New York Marathon because you can get into New York on a half time, oh. which I, I managed to do that in 2011. So went to New York in 2012. Guess what happened in 2012? Hurricane Sandy. So I oh. never went to New York. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So I need to go back. So that is the goal for – this year I'm doing the 70.3 world championships, um, in Nice. Nice. Yep. Super excited about that. I qualified last year at Muskoka and I'm amazed that actually, that actually even happened given how bad my race was, but (laughs) congrats. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I got so lucky. I can't even tell you how lucky I got. Um, so I thank the triathlon gods every day for that. But yeah, that's uh, that's my next race, and then when I come back from there, Scotiabank is in October, the end of October, and then next year I'm just gonna race short course. Okay. I've been okay. doing 
a lot of long course stuff for the last several years. And I'm like, you know, I miss the sprint racing. Cause I did that for like, I think 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, I did a lot of sprint races. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of the multi-sport Canada races. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do some of those and just have fun. Like not to say that long distance racing isn't fun, but I do love being able to just ride my bike, you know, casually ride my bike and not have to go ride 90 K or a hundred K or whatever. It's like, I just want to go do 40 today. So I'm going to go do 40 today. Um, you know, cause I have all that fitness from all the years of training, I can do that and still race a sprint relatively well. Yeah. So that's my plan for next year. And then hopefully I get into New York and that'll be the fall marathon for next year. And then the following year will be Ironman year. Nice. Nice. And that's as far as I've planned. <laughs> no, I think it's very, very, yeah, very, how do you say, forward looking. I thought, I thought I was a bit, uh, how do you say, myself a bit uh, obsessed in the sense that I already uh enrolled in my two a races for next year <laughs> right so i was just sort of wondering whether i'm just uh, alone in this world uh, and too obsessed or you know like you're not <laughs> i'm not yeah no. okay thank you i have to start enrolling in races for next year too because i'll be age group again you can't just i keep forgetting you can't just sign up yeah. like a month before mm-hmm. <laughs> So I got to start thinking that too. So you guys are inspired me yep. to do that. Make your list and then I'll check it. Make sure I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I don't want to raise against you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question in regards to like the New York qualifying time. What do you have to run at Scotia? Do you um, think, I have um, to get into I think it's sub 142. Okay. Which I, I did that off the bike in Muskoka a few weeks yeah. ago. So I think I'm good. <laughs> I think you're good. I think, I think I'm good. Be a problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when you were like holding 426 at Wallen last year, so I think you're off the bike. So I think you're probably pretty good. Yeah, that was a good run time. for me off the bike. That was, uh, and it helped that course pancake a lot. Like, yeah, yeah, that was good. Yeah, I got I got bowled down by Tamara Jewett. Oh my! Who doesn't <laughs> get bowled down by her? Um, Seriously, I can't wait. Till she's all better. So this Tamara Jewett, she's like an amazing runner. Like she holds 325 in her half marathon at the end of a, uh, a 70.3. Yeah. Like she's super fast. But I can't wait to see her get out on the pro circuit and just like after her shoulder is gets she better. Race pro? Um, she will be, I'm pretty sure. She's got, she's on the, the development team this year okay, for Ontario. So. Yeah. Good, because I heard that's one point someone had said, "Oh yeah, she has no interest in racing pro." I was like, "Is she insane?" Like, nah. I saw her. She's on the development team list, so she's got to have some plan in mind. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. She doesn't even have to swim her bike. She could just run at the end, like oh, pass I, everywhere. Yeah, she's amazing, <laughs> unbelievable. All right. So uh, I am using um, the authority given to me by our supreme leader, Swap Neil. <laughs> and uh, we need to start wrapping this up. Oh, my goodness. It's been an hour already. <laughs> Holy <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So he has given us his power to surprise people and tell them that at this point, they have uh, to go through four unavoidable questions. Oh, God. That we love to make everyone, yeah, and this uh, no one saves from this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna start with the first one. This one I think is very simple. 
It's a bit symbolic, but uh, you know, you can just make it whatever you want. Okay. Right. So number one, numero uno, is uh, what message would you want people listening to this to take away from your story? Oh. Hmm. Always listen to your gut. Yeah, always listen to your gut for sure. And trust in your ability to be able to do hard things. That's two things, but that's awesome. I think that I think that's a good thing to say because we don't we always often doubt ourselves and our ability, right? So yeah, we do need to trust that. Very true. Second question. Super tough. You might need another shot. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. Are there any people and or brands that you would like to give a shout out while you're on the podcast today? Oh, gee. Um, Running Free is a store in Markham. And they have a store, I think, in Orangeville. It's a small chain of stores. Um, they were, I was, that was the first team I was a part of. And it was such a great experience. Uh, and it really sort of helped me understand the, like, what a team, being on a team is like. Um, and it really made uh, triathlon racing that much more fun because if you guys go to race, everyone would be wearing your team running free kit. We didn't know them, but they were running, running free kits. So it was like, go running free! That just really, again, the sense of community. They were great. And I have to say, Blackco, because um, they took me on as a, as a head coach uh, in November, and working with Mike and Maya has been just phenomenal. They are great people and they have built a fabulous community through their store. So I would be remiss to not give them a shout out. All right. Numero tres. Number three. My lucky number. Your lucky number. There you go. Yeah. yeah that's the number, your Ironman number uh, in a couple of oh, years. Wow. I... Good point. <laughs> you see? Yeah, yeah. Before Shayla asks the last question. Could you please tell everyone here listening, where can we find you online? Oh, geez. Well, Instagram, uh, PK Performance Coaching, although that handle may change, but right now it's PK Performance Coaching. Um, online, same thing, PK Performance Coaching. Um, Facebook page, same thing, PK Performance Coaching. <laughs> and I don't use Twitter that much anymore. I, I just, yeah. 140 characters is not enough for me. <laughs> I know. Me either. Too limiting. I know. So that's where you can find me. Cool. So our final question, why do you try? Oh, well, why not? <laughs> exactly. um, well, it makes me happy. Um, it makes me feel strong. Um, it's something I love and it's something I don't suck at. So that's always a win. <laughs> <laughs> and the community obviously again it keeps coming back to the community it really does and the people that that i meet so yeah awesome hey are you going to be out at iron girl at all in a couple weeks no i'm not okay i'm not but i do have uh a few of my athletes are racing so you may see the bright red pkpc kit it's very it's bright red with like bright neon um yellow on the uh, arm and the leg nice so watch for that. i will look out for them for sure 
Yes, I will not be there, but they will be there. I'm still training for Nice, so I have to, my weekends are oh. long bike rides and long runs. Yeah, no, it's yeah, um, it's literally down the street from my house. Oh, perfect. So uh, I was supposed to do it with my daughter, but she's bowed out oh. <laughs> because she said she didn't have time to ride the bike. So... Um, which is okay because she's busy. She's in second year, going into second year at university, and she's working a lot. So I, yeah. I totally get it. And you know, she's just got she just did one race, a try try last year, just kind of got used to clipping in and out of the pedals. So I, yes. I totally get it. Um, but I'm going to do it. It's the week before Tremblant, so I figured I don't need to do a long ride that weekend. No, no. Go hammer twenty k on the bike. Yeah, it'll be. It just and it's flat. So it's totally flat. Yeah. I did that race 2013, maybe. I can't remember. Yeah. 20, no, 2014. Yeah. I loved it. It was fun. Yeah. And I'm going to give a quick shout out because Subaru uh, Triathlon Series, who runs the Iron Girl Canada here, they were kind enough to allow us to put some humans of triathlon postcards into all the kit bags for all the women that are going to be there. And so I'm really excited because I'm hoping that there's a lot of women that want to share their stories with uh, humans of triathlon so we we can um, put out everyone's strengths and how they've, you know, got to where they are today. So that's my shout out. That would be amazing. Get more women in the sport and get them out and realizing that there are lots of kick-ass women that do this sport. Exactly. All right. It's been well, thank you awesome so to have you, Fedra. Really. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Thanks, guys. I had a blast. Yeah, this hour just went by super quickly. Um, I don't know. It's been Obviously, we have uh, some sad topics to talk about as well, but uh, I think it just has been uh, super pleasant, honestly, to do to speak with you today definitely and an honor to have you you. to to share to be able to be the channel the messenger to transmit the pk coaching story to the world thank you so much charles and sheila good luck at ironman thank you and i'm hoping to see you around i'll catch you at one of the races and and say hi yes for sure vice versa yeah absolutely all right and thank you listeners again for another staying until the end of your commute, uh, listen uh, to this uh, two crazy people, three crazy people talking about triathlon <laughs> every week. And uh, like our good old uh, former governor of uh, California used to say, hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, humans. Yes, it is time for Triple C, C-Cubed Community Comments with Charles. Your guilty pleasure on your commute to work. Your hot podcast reviews get revealed to the world. And this week's review is from the United Kingdom. A five-star review that says, Excellent podcast for anyone who has an interest in people or in triathlons. The guests so far have been great and hearing about their backgrounds makes you realize the inner battles that some people have. But you can still compete, no? So definitely worth a listen if uh, and subscribe uh, to if you want a regular podcast to listen to. So, you know, guys, keep up the great work. Thank you uh, very much to uh, Ken Barchambuo. You can find him on Insta at uh, ken.barchambuo. On his uh, bio page, he calls himself a L- an LGBT triathlete, a sarcastic twat, and a professional cake eater. Well, 
after over six years living in the UK, I can definitely approve his last comment. People do know how to eat a cake around here, right? Anyway, remember to send us your reviews, anything you want to point out, right? So next week, we could share your review, your review here. So please find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Until next week, one human, one story at a time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for being a part of this Humans of Triathlon community. Hope you're enjoying the show and the other content. Make sure to join us again next week here on the Hot Podcast, where we'll bring you another amazing guest and story from this Audrey but extra Audrey world of triathlon. Until then, everyone, keep trying.